paper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. This is The Media Project, a half hour of commentary and analysis on the issues in the news media of the past week, and we thank you for joining us. I'm Rex Smith, editor-at-large of the Times-Union, and I am uh, pleased to be here with Dr. Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, and this week with Rosemary Armeo, investigative reporter and journalism professor, and Ira Fussfeld, longtime publisher of the Daily Freeman in Kingston, New York, and affiliated publications. Just a word to our listeners. We are recording this program on Thursday morning. You will be hearing it subsequently. We are here on the 7th of January as we record, so we apologize if some of what we say is a little bit superseded by events because it's been quite a tumultuous time. Dr. Shartok, you were in the middle of things, I'm presuming, as we all were when the Capitol was stormed. What do you think about how the news media handled this? Well, I think, again, Rex, something that you've taught all of us so well over the years, and so is Rosemary and Ira, which is that the media is not one thing. It's Fox with its Verschluggene commentators who are being defensive about the whole thing. It's MSNBC, which has really done yeoman work as far as I'm concerned and really was out there and doing it. CNN has been terrific. The New York Times and the Washington Post, I tell you, the Washington Post coverage in general has been so good. I always have a choice when I wake up at 12 o'clock at night to see what the next day's paper is going to be. I always have a choice. Read the Washington Post or read the New York Times first. You know what I always decide? I'm always going to read the Washington Post first. They've done a magnificent job. I don't know if I'm starting a fight here, but it seems to me the major newspapers and others and the CNN coverage and the MSNBC coverage has been extraordinary in this case. Rosemary, what's your uh, top line here? Yeah, I, of course, was glued to television. Um, breaking news is the lifeblood of journalism, and the adrenaline kicks in, and the top flight media do a, a good job in general. The one caveat is they sometimes go overboard, and it was really hard to go overboard with what was happening. It was unprecedented history. It was worldwide interest, and I think they generally rose to the occasion. Marty Barron in the Washington Post sat down with reporters directly him about words to use. Use mob, he said, not protest, because words matter. Call it insurrection. Don't call it a protest. It was something different than a protest. There was a big struggle over how exactly to characterize it. That's a level of care. Very great to see. I also am struck that in the Congress, when this event occurred, of course, it was political reporters, people who were talking about debate and policy, and instead they switch into uh, police reporting is what they were doing. There was a level of courage that was striking to see. No one knew what was going on. Bombs were found on the grounds. The legislators were hustled away to secure places. The journalists were not. They were out there covering it. And quickly they got out many of the threads of the story, including 
the woman who was killed. She's a QAnon Air Force veteran. That whole story is out. Somebody developed that. Trump's involvement, how Kaylee McEnany was responding to it, and the other White House officials. There were all these various threads, and you could just see them, the reporters fanning out and covering it. I was really impressed. It made my blood rush. I wish I had been in the midst of it. Ira, we are uh, hearing a lot of praise of the media. Are you uh, joining in the uh, conversation in that regard? Yeah, I think so. But I I was struck by something that's a little bit different and and maybe superficial. But as I watched the coverage and I changed the channels to get a flavor of how uh, everyone was doing it, I was struck that for the only other time I can remember is 9-11, when the anchors really were human in expressing their dismay and their shock at what they were seeing unfold. And and there may have been a time in my journalism lifetime where I would have been critical of that and I would have said, your job is to be dispassionate and just report it and don't comment on it. But the times have changed, one. And two, it was such a significant and sickening scene that was unfolding that it's understandable that the there were human beings describing it in very much human terms. And the only other thing that I would note, perhaps a B or C matter rather than A matter, was how striking the still images were, the still photography. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we all saw what was happening live in the live videos, but I think the most searing images are going to remain those dozens and dozens and dozens of pictures of people in the Congress and waving the flag or, or carrying the Confederate flag through Sanctuary Hall. It just shows still, even in this day of uh, of different kind of media, that the old-fashioned picture, single-shot picture, is still very dramatic and powerful. Okay, I think you touched on an important (laughs) point there, Ira, where you, you talk about the actual emotional impact of anchors bringing their own reaction to things. We remember the film of the Hindenburg crash and the announcer on the radio saying, Oh, the humanity, the wretched feeling of observing this. And I think that it is an interesting development that we ought to recognize from this work of the coverage of the real human reaction to things. And I think there is a bond that develops between viewers or readers and the journalists when we let that human touch we let the actual reaction be a part of it. Joy Reid on MSNBC, for example, holding up her iPhone to the camera to show the photograph of Senator Josh Hawley giving the power salute to the demonstrators as he's walking into the Capitol. Her outrage at that, that a senator would be, in effect, encouraging the people who then stormed the chamber. That kind of anger that she exemplified, I think, is something that will bond her with a readership, a a viewership, sorry, that, you know, is you're right. We would have, in a previous time, complained about that, lacking the evenness of Walter Cronkite. But that is the reality of our media today, and maybe this is something to celebrate in terms of real people reporting a real story. Who else? Well, you know, it's very interesting that you say that, Rex, because when you just started on this very interesting analysis, I was already about to say whoever put up the picture of Hawley with the power salute was really making a tremendous editorial statement. And I know all three of you have had to make those decisions as you go along. It's one thing about what you're telling your reporters they can say and not say and the rest of it. But then it's another to decide which picture is going to get the most response. And that one got mine. A couple of things here. That picture went up before the protest, the protest, the insurrection broke out. And uh, then it came back and probably will continue to come back to haunt him. But it was the keystone of an 
extraordinary editorial in the Kansas City Star. We haven't talked about editorial comment, which has been very loud and strong since this all happened. Uh, the Kansas City paper said that Holly has blood on his hands and should resign. And then um, the New York Times and the Washington Post have said the president committed treason. He should resign or the 25th Amendment should be invoked. These are extremely powerful calls for action. And we've talked before about the power of editorials, but they have been swift and strongly worded. Yes, in our editorial page, we, a few weeks ago, three weeks ago or so, backed off from using the word coup, an attempted coup. The president is trying a coup when he first was raising the complaints about the election, the false complaints. We went forward in the aftermath of this and used the word coup, and also in the Times Union called for the 25th Amendment for the vice president to invoke that and for Congress to swiftly impeach the president. You know, not that it necessarily Mm -hmm. will do a lot of good, but it is interesting how over time, words that we thought we wouldn't have wanted to use, we backed away from using the word coup three weeks ago, went forward with it in the aftermath of this. I think Rosemary will tell you that I've been saying that this president who has no bottom would not be above a coup. And I have said it repeatedly over and over. Absolutely. You have. And by the way, I don't think you will fail to see some more. Some of the critics of the print press have suggested that the print media in particular has been loath to use terms such as coup or such as the terms that they used the day of this event. Do you think that criticism was fair, that they yes. were pulling their punches? I do think that. And I had friends who immediately contacted me when this broke out at the Capitol from Africa and from Eastern Europe. And they had no trouble calling it a coup, an anarchy. And they have seen this where we have not. That's what it was. I was on a journalism group talking with someone who objected to a Facebook posting I made in which I used the word insurrection. They said, you can't call it that. Be careful. You have to be really temperate, Rosemary. And then Joe Biden got up and said this was an insurrection bordering on sedition. So Thursday was not a time for us to be talking about strong actions and using strong words. I don't know. What are we reserving them for? Right. I agree that these events that we saw in the Capitol deserve those words. The question, I think, was whether we in the media adequately handled the situation leading up to it, whether too little too late. what was going on, was the president, in effect, trying a coup? I'm sure there's a better word because a coup suggests overthrowing the government. He's just trying to overthrow the legitimate constitution. (laughs) Is that not the same, Rex? Right, you are, Rosemary. I think there is technically (laughs) another term. I'm just saying I think that there is a more precise term that I can't recall. Some of our listeners who are more adept at political language will remember what the word is. But in any case, usually it's an outsider who is attempting a coup. In any case, it is a question that certainly the ripeness of the moment, that was certainly insurrection. As President-elect put it, it was bordering on sedition. And you can't help but say, well, how else could we? What else could we have done? Is there anything we could have done that might have prepared the public better for this? I question whether the right-wing media that we on this program have talked a lot about will suffer any consequences from this, because nobody was really surprised, I think, that something would happen as a result of the misinformation, the kind of portraying to the world that, well, there's some legitimacy to what Donald Trump is saying. I wonder if there will be any price to pay at Fox News or those even further to the right for tolerating and not trying to accurately call what the president was doing. 
You Rex, think? I want to I want to take some real exception to what you just said about a coup and a definition of a coup. I'm okay. sorry, Alan. I'm just talking yeah. about a word. I think it a was a coup. term. I don't disagree. Yeah. I'm just saying there's a technical term that's a little bit different that I can't remember. But I'm not I'm not disagreeing that this was anything short of that. That's all. Okay, because he's about to not be president anymore, which would make him an outsider under your definition and trying to hold on to power. And there have been lots of coups in our history that have done exactly that. An outgoing leader says, I'm not leaving. And that's what this guy is doing. And by the way, I'm fascinated by what the interpretation of all of this will be. You saw all of those flags out there. Somebody had to give them those flags. They didn't make them in their basement. Somehow, this is a place for the news media and for congressional investigations. Who gave them all of that stuff? How did it get out there? The president urged them to go up to the Capitol. I think this is a genuine coup. Mm-hmm. I wrote the headline on editorial, U.S. coup, so I certainly don't disagree. Cool. That Good I'm for you. I'm saying there is some other term as well. Americans for too long have thought that, oh, it could never happen here. This is something that happens in other places. In Uganda, the leader decided he wanted to stay in office, so he forced through a change in the Constitution so that he could rule for life. And he's still there for seven, eight years, decades now. That's a coup, and that's what we called it in the United States. That's how our politicians treated it, but we don't see it in ourselves. It's very hard to report about ourselves when there's such negative and horrible things happening. Good for you, Rosemary. Well, to Rex's question about whether or not we think the right-wing media will – what direction they will go now, will they have less impact? I think that they are going to do something that Alan has often accused the mainstream media of doing, and that is sticking their finger up in the wind and seeing which way the wind blows. Mm -hmm. I I do think that – I don't agree mm-hmm. with that in general when, when Alan suggests that, but I do think that's what's going to happen at Fox and on the talk radio people and OAN. They're going to have to get a feel for what direction they think those people are going to go in and whether or not it's going to hurt them on the bottom line and people will stop yeah. listening. I suspect that the numbers, the people who were, quote, represented by the insurrectionists are going to be still listening to those programs and still expecting them to be cheered. And if the media outlets, if those media outlets get too much negative feedback, I think they'll back off. I think gun control and right-wing militia and control of them will be major political issues in the United States. And so you can expect to see media coverage of that. And it will certainly affect what goes on in right-wing media. You know, the Murdoch has shown some interesting contrasts at the Post and at Fox also in that what used to be unthinkable, Murdoch now takes a a different kind of line. So his commentators, as you pointed out, Rosemary and everybody else, have been staying with what they do. But on the other hand, there have been editorials and other things about you lost, which means that, as you say, I guess, they are on the line and they're trying to figure out for themselves which way to go because they don't know which way the wind is blowing. Well, the fact is that America is in a reality crisis. I think that there is going to be some sort of a reckoning, and it is not clear to me whether there will be enough, I think to your point, Alan, whether there will be enough economic pressure brought to bear to change that right-wing media ecosystem, whether there will be enough conscience that can overwhelm the economic imperative to profit from this lying uh, that has been supported by Fox News, for example. You know, Ben Sass of Nebraska, the conservative senator, made the point on the Senate floor, lies have consequences. Well, I think we will see 
if lies have consequences for Fox News and the other right-wing media, whether supporting this kind of thing will have a consequence. And it will have a consequence, I think, only if people of conscience demand that there be some reality in the coverage. Uh, I just don't know that that's going to happen. I just don't believe necessarily that there's enough demand on the part of that allegiant Fox News audience to insist that there be a change in tone. Do you think there will be? I'm not seeing it yet. Can I just say that one time I was on the train when I was a very young man and I saw a state legislator sitting next to his flack and he turned around and he cut something out of the newspaper and he handed it to him and said, Write me a bill on this. (laughs) Think about that for a second. Write me a bill on this. So there are sometimes, it's not the media that follow the politics. Sometimes it's really that the media comes up with a story. It has such impact that legislators write bills as a result of that. And I've seen it happen. It's extraordinary. Yes, the question is whether there is going to be an imperative for this faction of the media to be willing to tell followers the truth. You know, Chuck Schumer, who is going to be the majority leader of the Senate, uh, denounced Trump along with what he called the captive media that parrots his lies. And so I just wonder if we will see, even after four people killed in the capital of the United States as a result of a right-wing-fueled mob egged on by the president and his supporters in the Senate, Ted Cruz, Elise Stefanik, of New York State. I wonder if there will be any consequence for that. I was just sitting here thinking that there's nothing wrong with there being a right-wing point of view. And as abhorrent as I find it, I don't deny their right to have it. But I don't think it's a stretch to expect from all of these right-wing critics to denounce violence. They have to educate people who are uh, listening to them and watching them that they can protest, but the protest should not result in what happened yesterday as we speak. That's not too much to ask. And I don't understand why they feel that piece of the puzzle is necessary to their, no pun intended, the ammunition that they use to express their point of view. Why violence and why not? denouncing that violence is not just de rigueur. You know, Rosemary is the best among us. There's no question about it in my mind. Congratulations, Rosemary. And Rosemary, I know that unlike everybody else, you watch all the media. I know Ira does too. And that you can report on what Fox was doing in the absolute aftermath and what their commentators who were religiously right-wing were saying. Well, I found their coverage very similar when it was covering the news, when they were showing mob, the mob going through the Capitol. I I found it very, very similar. What changed came later, and I've gone back and looked at some of that, was when Hannity was speaking to the same players, Carlson and Laura Ingram. And all of them still are Trump supporters, and they parrot, their commentary parroted the president's, which is, oh, yeah, violence is bad. You know, they do that like a knee-jerk reaction. It's automatic and very insincere. Oh, we hate violence. It doesn't solve anything. Yeah, but. And then the yeah, but was you stole an election, and this is what happens when you do a bad thing like that. 
It was very shocking. Tucker Carlson, especially, it was a weird, weird opening to his show where he talked, didn't show scenes from the mob like almost everybody else did, but just talked about his view that sort of we brought this on ourselves. By Yes, yeah, Tucker Carlson went on with the us versus them theme. He said to his audience, right. it's not your fault, it's their fault. And there was a lot of this notion that the rioters were Antifa. You heard some of that on the far right. Sean Hannity kept lying about the election. Sean Hannity went on and on. And of course, the Fox News coverage, even during the day, was focused on a massive failure of security, how bad the police were, as opposed to focusing on those who were doing it. Laura Ingram, who mocked the notion that the Black Lives Matter protests were mostly peaceful, kept pointing out that, ah, well, most of the people in D.C. were peaceful. It was a, a small contingent of loons. Patriots have been unfairly maligned. So I guess that is answering the question, this is not going to have an impact on those who have been building the bonfire here. Can Uh, I just disagree? And one thing I want to disagree, Rex, and that is I do think that the security angle is a legitimate story. And that was also covered heavily by MSNBC. I didn't see that as a distortion, you know, the same way that some of the other emphasis on the election results in the light of an insurrection just took away from from the main story. I think security was legitimately, and there will be something that the people will know a lot more about by the time they hear this. And I would also point out again the obvious that that block that you described, Carlson, Hannity, Ingram, is where Fox makes its money. That's their drawing card. That's yes. where the numbers are so large as to impact their entire ad rate schedule. And as long as they continue to get those numbers, we're going to see them doing what they're doing. One could only wonder if it had been a group of African-Americans who invaded the Congress, no matter how small, what the news coverage would have looked like then. They never would have gotten into the Capitol. I guarantee if it weren't a primarily white mob, if it weren't a mob that looked exactly like Hillary Clinton's unfortunate term, a basket of deplorables. Not so unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Not so unfortunate anymore. It seems like yeah. the, the only thing wrong about that was only a basket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite remarkable, but I don't think that that group would have ever gotten into the Capitol if it were darker hued than those white people who stormed the Capitol. Well, even if they had tried, Rex, there would have been a different kind of coverage that would have gone on. You know, I've been getting a lot of mail about that, and people have been saying, What if? What if? And so, you know, you can say they never would have gotten in. I don't know who would have gotten in and who wouldn't have. I know this was a white mob, and the white mob got in maybe because of the Capitol Police, maybe because the president of the United States sent them there. Who knows? We know that uh, on the far right where this notion is emerging that the rioters were actually Antifa, that they were from the far left, this is, of course, a lie. But Sarah Palin is saying it, Laura Ingram, floating the idea that left-wing radicals were responsible for some of the violence. And that kind of thing needs to be dealt with, but with reporting. The difficulty is that we can have commentators who make the point about the truth, but actually calling out the liars among the commentators, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, it's hard to have the same impact that they have, I'm afraid. What does it say about the guest booker on the network, whichever the network it was, and I, I guess I can guess which one, who when they must have sat down and said to themselves, you know who we ought to have on to discuss this? Sarah Palin. 
Yeah. Where does she come out of the woodwork to get on network TV? Well, Rudy Giuliani got a spot on Newsmax and expressed disappointment with Mike Pence. So uh, there will be venues for this kind of conversation. I guess we would be overly uh, optimistic or Pollyanna-ish to think that there is not going to be. But I just wonder if there will be any conscience at Fox News that would make for a change, at least there. But, of course, that would leave more of an opening for Newsmax and OANN, so I guess that's too much to hope for. So we move into a new year with a very difficult media environment and with a sense that um, we're at a, a different time in America. And it will be amazing to watch the coverage of a new administration, a new Congress emerging. Any predictions for what we're going to see in, in the weeks ahead, Alan, as we move into this supposedly new time in America, as we, as we draw to the end of the show? Any, any last thoughts about what is likely ahead of us? Well, Rex, not that much, but I can tell you this. It's going to be a different story covering somebody who the news media as a whole, I believe, is really opposed to, that being Trump. Now you're going to have a president, and it's going to be interesting, and I'd love to hear what Rosemary have to say about this, whether or not they have more trouble covering somebody that they basically philosophically agree with. Well, my view is that the media covers powerful people. And that will be Joe Biden soon. And so you're going to see the same sort of coverage of him that you did of Obama. I think that Trump was the outlier because he's so just basically anti-democratic. And that's different. That's something we've not covered before. Also corrupt to the core. There was a lot to cover on Donald Trump. He's also a charismatic clown that fascinated people. So all of that goes away. You're going to lose a major character, but you still have a president of the United States dealing with unbelievable problems, unifying this country, bringing to justice the former administration, solving the collapse of the economy, cheering people. That's a lot of drama and lots of stuff to cover. I think it's going to be an amazing time to be a journalist. And remember, Trump isn't going away. Trump is not going away. He's going to form a, you know, some kind of a exterior presidency, and he's going to be yelling and screaming, assuming he's not in jail, which is where he ought to be. And so he's not going away, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him getting an awful lot of ink. Well, we'll we will see. see. He's collapsing pretty quickly, it, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see. That may be another story to cover, too. All of it we will see. We are unfortunately out of time, and it has been a most unusual program for a most unusual time. Ira Fussfeld, Rosemary Armeo, Alan Shartok, and I'm Rex Smith. Thanks to our producer, David Gustina, and to you all for joining us this week on The Media Project. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally, the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now newspapermen are such interesting people. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is editor-at-large of the Times Union. Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and former chair of the Department of Journalism at the University at Albany. And Ira Fussfeld is the publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go. 
To working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.